I invite you to turn your Bible this morning to the book of Acts and chapter 24. Acts and chapter 24. While you're finding that, let me ask a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you're in a very close encounter with another automobile while you were driving? And you felt all of a sudden that I'm in this situation totally unexpected. It looks like extreme danger. And all of a sudden you've gone from a calm Sunday afternoon drive and now your heart and your brain and your lungs are pumping at full capacity. And you feel like your head is about to explode. Where am I going to turn? A moment of panic. Maybe for a moment you remember one evening late, dark at night after everyone's gone to bed, men, and maybe you're just barely conscious, about to go into deep sleep, and you hear something in the house you know is not right. You hear that noise and you think, is that somebody in my house? And you reach over to the nightstand to get your pistol out of the drawer. And your heart starts to beat a little bit, and suddenly you're completely awake. This reading today from Acts chapter 24 is about a man that found himself not in a physical dangerous situation, but in a spiritual situation that caused him to panic, to tremble before God. Acts in chapter 24 and the verses, chapters leading up to this passage. Paul has taken all of his three missionary journeys. He's come back to Jerusalem to make offerings and sacrifices in the temple, touch base with the home church, you might say, there in Jerusalem. And the Jews, the leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees found him in the temple. While he was there, they had a great commotion, tried to address him, turned him over to the Roman officials. At a riot starts, the Roman magistrate takes him away, holds him back for a while, and decides to send him on to a higher judge. He's going in just a few days to see Felix, the Roman governor of that area. He gets to Caesarea. He appears before Felix, and Felix says after he listened to the case, he didn't have enough information. And he tells them that, I'm going to hear from another witness, the governor from Jerusalem. And you pick up at verse 22. And when Felix heard these things, primarily if you look at verse 21, Paul has spoke of the resurrection of the dead. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, in those days Christianity was known as the way. He deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of the matter. In other words, when this other official comes to town, he can fill me in on the details. And he commanded, verse 23, a centurion to keep Paul and let him have liberty that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come to him. In those days, you didn't go to the county jail and have three square meals and air conditioning and heating and recreation and all those things, you were confined. And if you had any comfort at all, any food to mount anything or need new clothes, 
Your family or friends had to bring it to you at the jail. But Paul is put under house arrest, and the governor says, anybody that wants to can come and minister to you. Then 24, and after certain days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess. After certain days, after this initial hearing, you might say, Felix, the governor, has a private audience with Paul. And he brings his wife. And he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Verse 25. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered. Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. Acts chapter 24 and verse 25, a key phrase. Felix trembled. Before COVID started, that very winter, I'd flown to San Diego for a preaching conference and as I got out of the airport going towards the rental car situation and went into the offices, and there were two rental car situations together in a big glassed-in foyer. While I was standing in line, they gave me some papers to fill out, and filling out those papers, I noticed down the sidewalk were about two dozen people running, it looked like, for their lives down that sidewalk. And I noticed that, and I thought for a minute, now what in the world could be happening? And as that first initial big group went by, two young people, I'd say early 20s, came running, bashing through the double glass doors, and ran around the counter and got under the counter at my feet. Huddled down, up in a fetal position, and you could tell they were sweating profusely, and another man, another lady came running in through those doors again, went to the other side of the room, got under a counter under there. And about the time I looked down at these people under my feet, sheltering, I wondered to myself, what in the world panicked all these people? And then a man, a big guy, come busting through the doors again, running for the back like those double doors in the back. And then two policemen right behind him with firearms drawn. And they chased him toward the back doors, and the doors were locked. He couldn't get through, so he turned around and ran headlong in the two, to the two policemen, and they collapsed there in the floor, and guns went everywhere. Big struggle ensued. And then another policeman came in while the fight was going on, and took all of us outside around the corner. And then about the time we turned the corner, you could hear pop, pop, pop three times. They'd gotten hold of their guns and killed the man. Turned out he had, was a fugitive from justice, criminal, fellow. They spotted him and he was fleeing as hard as he could go. But I remember distinctly the faces of those two young people and the look of complete terror in their hearts. They were panicked. 
You ever felt that kind of a panic? One minute things seem to be calm and the next I've got to run for my life. I've got to get out of here. The passage today is about a man that encountered a spiritual situation. Not a physical situation, but a spiritual situation that caused him in his mind and in his emotions to think to himself, I've got to flee. I'm in a panicked state. I've got to get away. That man's name was Felix. And I wonder today, have you ever encountered Christ, encountered God in a spiritual situation that in a moment in time is a crisis in your heart and in your mind? And your mind begins to race. Your heart starts to pump uncontrollably. And you have this feeling in your stomach and it's going to be here before God for a minute. It's going to be fight or flight. Has that ever happened? This man, Felix, entered that situation here in Acts and chapter 24. For a moment, if you've never experienced that, try to think about for a moment. Remember a time when maybe it started to be that way for you. And put yourself for a moment in Felix's Position. Felix, the governor, has come with his wife, Drusilla. Felix was known in his, by secular historians as an incredibly selfish, incredibly brutal, incredibly corrupt public official. Known throughout that whole area, having no mercy on anyone taking complete advantage of anyone that he could. And here today, though, he brings to this informal situation, not the main hearing, but the informal situation, he brings his wife, Drusilla. The Bible tells us she was a Jewess. But what it doesn't tell us is what historical historians tell us, that Drusilla, though she was a Jewess, she had been married to another governor in another province. And she had seduced him and married him when she was 16 years old. And now she's left him and she has seduced Felix. And now probably 17, 18 years old, she's on her second marriage with with the second powerful government official. And in those days, you didn't go to movies in the afternoons. You didn't go play golf in the afternoons. You'd had a very limited range of entertainment. And they arranged for some entertainment. You'd hear somebody come and you'd have a special guest. You might enter into a interesting, intriguing, stimulating, academic kind of conversation. You might hear somebody talk about current events. You might hear somebody talk about travels some far off place you had never been. So this day, Felix, perhaps out of boredom, decides he's going to call this man Paul before him. And to do his wife a favor, his little teenage wife, he's probably pushing 50, 55 years old. He's got his little teenage wife. He says, okay, we're going to have some entertainment here today. And we've got this strange fellow that's also a Jew like you, Ben. And we're going to hear about a new sect of Judaism. 
Sometimes, men, we come to church out of boredom, don't we? Become somewhat a situation that we become a little bit maybe cold spiritually. And we can't stay home and watch ESPN or some movies all day long. You've done that all day on Saturday and Saturday night. Sunday morning, well, I think I'll get up and just to break the boredom, I'll go to church today. And maybe I'll hear some intriguing music. Maybe it'll be a little bit different than what it usually is. And I'll be entertained by the music for just a little while. Maybe the preacher today, maybe he's going to be somebody that is a really, really good motivational speaker. And he's going to talk to me about my stress or my relationships or my depression how it's hard in life, and I get through COVID and get through the depression, recession of the economy, and all those kind of things. I'll be, it'll build me up, lift me up a little bit. Maybe we come and say, well, you know, it's a good thing that's good to go to church. I go to Lions Club on Tuesday, and I go to the Chamber of Commerce meeting, lunch, breakfast on Friday mornings. On Sunday mornings, I'll go to church. That's the best meeting to go to, and it pleases my wife if I come, go with her. Teenagers, young people come sometimes to see their friends. Just from a lack of entertainment. And we come to the Lord's house, take the Lord's name on our tongues, in an unthoughtful at times way, we go through the recitation of the creed, just kind of from memory. We sing a song or two that's familiar and it just kind of flows from our brains out through our mouths and we really don't remember and think about what we're saying. And we take the things of the Lord somewhat in vain. And we come to church at times with those things and those situations in our heart. And we're cold. We're looking for that moment of something that encouraged me a little bit. And then something happens. We go turn to the scriptures and something comes along and starts to focus on our heart. The spirit works on our hearts and enlivens the scriptures. And it comes to mind something in my life does not accord with the things of God. And our hearts begin to race for a moment. And we see a little bit of our lives, a little bit of our hearts revealed before God. Maybe no one else sees it, but in our hearts, God has uncovered a sore spot, a weak spot in our lives. And we began to feel something, a little bit of what Felix felt that day. And we remember maybe a time in the past where... Under the power of the preaching of the word, our heart started to race a little bit. Our pulse quickened. And then just a little bit of cold sweat. Maybe just a little trembling in the hand. And we tremble before God. That day when Felix wanted some entertainment. And he wanted to entertain his wife. And he brought this man, Paul, before him. Felix 
got more than he bargained for. It may be today, men, on this day, perhaps when we come to Father's Day services at church, expecting a Father's Day sermon, something that encouraged me about my fatherhood or being a grandfather or a potential father. And we come today and we hear about Felix and he trembles and maybe we get a little bit more than we bargained for today. What was the message that Felix heard that caused him to shake in his boots? Look with me again down there in verse 24. It says Paul was before him and he heard him concerning the faith in Christ. It's not an accident that our translations say the faith of or in Christ. The idea of that article there, that particular article being there is this, definite article, being this, that there is a uniqueness about faith in Christ. Paul said in another place, there is no other name in heaven, mentioned under heaven, in other words, anywhere in the universe whereby men may be saved. No other name. Exclusivity. Paul's thought is this. Orthodox Christianity says this. You either have real faith in Christ, a singular thing, or you have no worthwhile religion at all. There is the faith in Christ. Think of it this way. Orthodox Christianity is the only true valid religion anywhere in the universe and everything else is false. Or everything else is true and Orthodox Christianity is the only one that is false. Broadly across the world in our society today, most people would go for the second choice, for B. All religions are somewhat valid. All religions will get you to heaven one way or another. And the only one that's wrong is the one that says Christ is exclusive. That he is the only mediator between us and God. Exclusivity, the faith. They tell you today that we look around the world, Islam is a false religion. Buddhism is a false religion. Hinduism is a false religion. Roman Catholicism is a false religion. Rampant, crazy charismaticism, Pentecostalism is a false religion. There is one faith. In Christ. You believe one thing that Jesus Christ is absolutely the unique Son of God. And as a matter of fact, He's the second person of the Trinity. And as we quoted in the Creed a while ago, we believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus is Christ, is God, come to earth to die for our sins. And he has paid that total cost and he's resurrected from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God waiting for the judgment day today. That is the faith 
in Christ. It's exclusive. The faith. What is faith? Again, it's not just a somewhat of a academic or intellectual ascension to some truths of history. Faith is when we take our trust, our confidence in our eternal lives and being at peace with God. And we take it from anything that we can do, anything that any other man can do, from anything that any so-called religion can do. And I put it all on one thing, that Jesus died for me and completely covered my sins. And he imputed his righteousness to me. And I have no plan B. And that Jesus Christ, the faith in Christ, Christ means the, that is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word of Messiah, the one that's anointed, the one that's coming that will make all things right, all things just for all of eternity. And that is Jesus Christ, the ultimate judge of all mankind. That's what Paul preached to Felix. But then we see just a little bit more in the next verse of how Paul elaborated on that faith in Jesus. Look with me down, verse 24. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperatures may say self-control, and the judgment to come. Christ, fully man, fully God, you can't explain that away. to your, You can't fully academically or intellectually grasp that, but that's what the Bible says. That Christ, the Son of Man, came. And he lived life on this earth without any outward sin at all. Always did what was right, never did what was wrong. And then, beyond that, he never had a sinful thought or word that came along after it. That's real righteousness. We think about righteousness sometimes in our lives as doing more good things than bad things. Or you think about righteousness as the criminal, perhaps, that pays his debt, we call it to society, in the penitentiary. And he's covered his debt. Now he's good. But let me assure you this. The Bible says that there is none good, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. We've all turned aside. We've all turned after our own way. Do you know what the good news is? That same passage says, But God has laid on him, being Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. So that under Christ, I'm not somebody that has paid my debt, done more good things than bad things. I'm not somebody that's on parole, and just waiting out my time, hoping I make it through, and I get to the end and cover up all my misdeeds. The truth is that if you're in Christ, Christ has imputed his righteousness to you. In other words, in biblical terms, when God looks at the Christian, one that's truly 
been reformed, truly been born again, truly trembled at his sin, and trembled at the purity of Christ, when that happens, Christ puts his righteousness upon me and totally covers my sin. And when God looks at me, rather than seeing me as a sinner, seeing you as a sinner that's working out his salvation in some way or trying to cover up his sins, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He looks at us as if somebody had never sinned in thought, word, or deed, and you are actually, in his eyes, in Christ, pure of all sin. Paul talked about to Felix about that kind of righteousness. Then he says he talked to him about temperance, self-control. You might say self-mastery. You know, I've known men in my life, grown men, that you see them in public, you see them in church, see them professionally, and they have a very, very upright presentation of themselves, have a good reputation around the community, a good reputation professionally. They behave like gentlemen, have a decent manly vocabulary. Then you meet them at the country club after a bad shot. And things start to come out of their mouth you can't believe. Out of the heart comes what we really think. And maybe you might get into a situation occasionally and get around some people in a social thing in a new place and people began, the men began to talk. Maybe ladies do the same thing. I don't know. You get in a situation that's very casual. There's some friends there and you get involved in the conversation. They start to talk about their some of their lurid activities. And really, even though they can control themselves in the public eye, really, as the Bible says, they're full of dead men's bones on the inside. That was Felix. Felix could present himself in all kinds of distinct ways. But when he had the opportunity, what was on the inside came out. Bribes, brutality, adultery, fornication, all those things. He was not controlled on the inside. Didn't have mastery of his own heart. Maybe some of us here today, we're in the same situation. We can hold our tongues in public We stay out of public sin, but inside our hearts and our minds race with greed and lust. Our emotions rage ahead of us with pride and jealousy and all those kinds of things. That was Felix that day. And when Paul talked to him about the fact that he had no righteousness and only true righteousness came from in union with Christ and told him he had no self-control, really. 
He mentioned for the end or the third point of his three-point sermon, he mentioned the day of judgment. Again, verse 25, he reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come. The Bible speaks all the way through from Genesis to Revelation that there is a day, a final day of reckoning before God. Our confessions of faith tell us toward the end, Baptist faith, Presbyterian confessions, catechism say the same thing. If you're here today or we sit again, know someone that is outside the realm of grace, says when they die, when the wicked die, their souls immediately go to hell. And they're in torment. Their bodies lie in the grave until the resurrection of the great day. The next question has to do with not just when they die, but what happens to them? Souls in hell and the body in the grave. What happens at the resurrection, at the judgment? Catechisms tell us that at the day of judgment, the souls of the wicked are reunited with their bodies. And having been reunited with their bodies, they spend all of eternity in the torments of hell. Unspeakable torments. Unspeakable, the physical, bodily, and the mental torments. Again, unspeakable. Not that you can't try to describe them, but there aren't enough words in our vocabularies to say everything about the extent of the suffering. Unspeakable torments for all eternity. No end. Not another Father's Day passes. Not another year that passes and it's over. Not another century and it's over. Not another millennium and it's over. Time without end. Unspeakable torments. Body and soul. And Felix, confronted with the fact that he had no righteousness. Confronted with the fact that he knew down deep inside that God knew his heart and he has no self-control. He knows that way down deep in his heart, just like we all know in our hearts. It's written in the law of God and in our hearts that there is a judgment to come. When that struck Felix's mind and his heart, it says that he began to tremble. English cannot contain or express everything that was in Paul's language. The idea is the picture is like this when you read it. That there is the governor and his wife, and he's in control. 
having this informal session for entertainment. And he has this poor, itinerant preacher of a new sect of Judaism, he thinks, before him. And he's in control, and this man is to entertain him. And now, rather than being on trial, trying Paul, now the Holy Spirit through Paul puts Felix, the governor, on trial. And you get the idea, the thrust is this, at one moment he's in control, and one moment he's the one that's in charge of all the events, and he's running the show, and then all of a sudden, you have no righteousness, Felix. You are a pagan, adulterer, fornicator, thief, coveter and it goes deeper than your outward acts it goes all the way to your heart you have no righteousness you have no standing before God and there is a day of judgment and the Bible describes it as one moment he's in control and he's calm he's official and then it changes it strikes him to the very core of his heart And he begins to tremble. And the sensation of, I've got the idea, is really panic. I cannot stand this. I cannot withstand what's hitting me in the face and in the heart right now. And I've got to go. But he's the one in charge. He can't go. So what does he do? It says there in that same verse, he tells this preacher in front of him, he says, after Felix trembled, And he answered, go thy way for this time. Inside, he's saying to himself, I can't run away. I can't flee out the back door. So I'm going to tell you, you run away. I want you out of my presence. Every time, men, ladies, every time, The Holy Spirit speaks way down deep in our hearts about our lack of righteousness, about our lack of self-control, corrupt nature of our wills and our minds and our hearts, and we think of the day to come. We have to choose flight or fight. How many times have you been as you can recall, some degree of trembling in your heart a little bit of the influence of the word, and you fought it off. If I can just make it until the doxology, if I can just wait till the benediction, I can go home, it's going to be okay. I can't run out the back door at this moment, and everybody would know what's going on in my heart but maybe I can outlast it a little while. And Felix took that path. He said, I'm going to outlast. He said, you get out of here. And when it's a more convenient season, you can come back. Let me get this out of my way. Let me shake this off. You can come back again another time. And it says that he did it over several times, over and over. 
hoping he had tamped down that guilt in his heart. He had tamped it down and tamped it down. He said, maybe Paul will bring me a bribe. Maybe I'll get something out of this. And over and over again, men and women do the same thing today. We tamp it down over and over again. It says at the end of the chapter that after a period of time, long period of time passed, about two years, I think, another governor came, and you never hear of Felix again. A lifetime of near panic. Then the last time becomes the last time. Could it be for one or more of us here today that this is the last time? Will you look back someday and say, well, I'll come again. I'm going to hold it down today. I'm not going to really be converted. I'm not going to really throw my life at the feet of Jesus and become a servant of Christ. I'm just going to tamp it down a little bit. and I'll come back again another time. and Maybe another time. But for some, there's not another time. Felix trembled. Do you tremble for the lack of righteousness in your life? Do you tremble at the core of a wicked nature you have no mental, spiritual control over? Do you tremble that there is a day of judgment? Let's bow together for just a moment. Father, we bless your name That there is indeed righteousness in Christ. We thank you for his purity. We thank you for his willingness to die in our place. We're extraordinarily blessed and encouraged that he rose from the dead and seated at the right hand of God making intercession for his saints today. We pray that as we leave today, we'll leave with thoughts, hopefully remembrances of the days when we stood before God as Felix did and heard of righteousness and temperance and the judgment and Christ by his grace and mercy gave us the ability and planted faith in our hearts that we could truly trust in Christ and what he's done for us. We entered into the new covenant with him. Father, we thank you for that grace in Christ. But we're troubled at times that when we meet together that there may be one that is indeed trembling this very hour 
hopefully still trembling about their sins and lack of righteousness. And we pray that by your power, by the Holy Spirit's work, that you would cause them to be born again unto a lively hope. You would help them believe the unbelievable that a man would die for them. And he was perfect. And that he reigns in heaven today to continually make intercession for him. Help them to believe today and throw themselves on Christ and realize that there's no other name under heaven named among men that can make us right but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that you do those things for us today. Keep them on their minds as we leave this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.